people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to another issue of Kidney Talk. We have uh, Ken Kleinberg with us today. He's an entertainment lawyer, and he was diagnosed with kidney disease in 1999 and went on to create an organization called uh, University Kidney Research Organization. So we're going to learn a little bit about him and his mission. So welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to share some thoughts with you, and particularly uh, because uh, I'm a great admirer of, of yours and all of the things that you have done and accomplished, Lori. It's really quite wonderful. Well, thank you, Ken. Um, so tell me a little bit, how did you find out you had kidney failure? I was in uh, Europe uh, in actually in, in uh, 1999, and I had um, started to get a lot of swelling in my legs, and I came home, went to my, my regular physician. I knew nothing about uh, uh, kidney maladies, and uh, he sent me immediately to see a nephrologist, and uh, the nephrologist said that I had a, a kidney problem, and uh, it was uh, not not a very severe one. It was something that was called minimal change disease, something I'd never heard of. And it, it's called that because um, there are detectable but minimal changes in the glomeruli of the kidneys from whence the name comes. And that was what I had, and it caused my kidneys to malfunction in some fashion. Uh, it is a malady that has no known cause. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the uh, uh, initial physician that I went to see um, uh, wasn't seemingly helping me. And over a period of five weeks, I was becoming more bloated with fluid. Uh, I eventually um, went to see another specialist um, over at... Um, here in the city, and uh, he diagnosed this uh, and, immediate, and said immediately that it didn't matter where I went, whether I went back to the first uh, person that I had seen or to uh, another, to several other places, but that I needed to be in the hospital that day. Wow. And uh, uh, I was so filled with fluid, and by that point I had gained more than 50 pounds. Oh my goodness! I mean, it probably was just hard to walk. Very hard. It was. It was. Uh, I was having trouble starting to. It was affecting my breathing, and uh, I felt like I was just inundated, which I literally was. So I was immediately hospitalized uh, uh, at USC. That's where I was. Uh, that was the physician that I saw. His name was Dr. Vito Campisi, and he happens to head the Department of Nephrology at USC. And uh, he immediately hospitalized me, and I uh, was treated uh, for five weeks uh, in the hospital with a combination of immunosuppressants, prednisone, and uh, Lasix, and uh, the fluid came off of me, and I was discharged uh, and, and was sort of told that I had, a, uh, as I said, a fairly serious 
malady, but it was not nearly as drastic as what uh, might might occur. I was also warned that this malady sometimes um, morphs into more serious uh, kidney problems. I was uh, put on a regimen of uh, medication, and uh, over the next, I would say, uh, uh, eight months or nine months, um, watched and treated, etc., and uh, almost a year to the day that I was first uh, stricken, I uh, um, was stricken again. I was, interestingly enough, back in Europe at that time. I came home and uh, ended up in the hospital very quickly, only this time um, the, the malady was uh, ferocious, and I was in the hospital 13 straight weeks, and um, was very, very seriously ill um, with all kinds of um, difficulties caused by this and, and, and after a number of different uh, procedures, including uh, in both instances when I was hospitalized, uh, um, uh, kidney biopsies and the like, and all, all, all manner of different kinds of tests and full body scans and so forth, uh, I was advised that I had something that now was called Focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, FSGS, which is a pernicious kidney disease that, when it attacks adults um, in uh, middle age or older, very often results in end stage renal failure. Which, indeed, um, after struggling with this and being in the hospital 13 weeks, they did manage to get my kidneys back to functioning for about six months, but. Um, in March of 2001, I um, suffered uh, end-stage renal, renal failure and began dialysis. I, I was periodically on dialysis when I was in the hospital, but um, um, it became a permanent part of my uh, life for six years, beginning in March of 2001. Well, you started hemodialysis, um, so you were on that for six years. I, I was. And one thing that I was amazed, because I, I would visit, you know, uh, the center and visit you, and you were working, like, nonstop all the time, I, which w was amazed, because you run a, a, a law firm, and how did you manage to, you know, keep up with work and, you know, go through all of this? I mean, did you have any tips or tricks you'd share with the audience? It's determined as a matter of of my approach and mentality toward it that I was not going to have this malady uh, disrupt my life any more than it had to. And uh, um, I, I think I made two very um, profound decisions. I mean, during the time I was in the hospital, I had a computer brought into my room and, and various other devices so that I could communicate not only with my office but with my clients. And... Uh, continue to do my work whenever possible. And during dialysis, which was three and a half hours a day, uh, each session three times a week, after I got hooked up, I was able to sit back in the chair and have a headset with a telephone. And fortunately, my right arm, which is the one I used to write, um, was uh, not affected because I had my, uh, my shunt in my left arm. And I just sat there and talked to people on the telephone and and analyzed documents and uh, decided that, hey, it was, you know, three hours of being left alone. Nobody could really bother me very much <laughs> unless I wanted to take their call or, or, or let them into my space. And um, 
I, I found it to be, um, well, not ideal, obviously, uh, something that was I was not going to waste my time watching television uh, or g- uh, game shows or all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, Jerry Springer always is on when you're on dialysis. I don't know if it's some kind of curse, but, uh, you know, you're in the dialysis unit, and Jerry Springer seems to be... Uh, yes, it's very true, and I think, that <laughs> I think a lot of people, um, you know, find that, I suppose, a... Uh, a diversion from day-to-day problems. I, I found it to be just mindless nonsense, and I wasn't interested in watching it. <laughs> I guess you feel better. You feel a little better because they got to be worse off than you, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, it isn't my taste in entertainment in any event, so I would um, once in a while watch a news program on, on the TV. or uh, um, uh, But most of the time I had my, my headset on and I was talking to people or I was... Um, using my computer. And so I, I felt very fortunate that, you know, I, my job and my work was not such as to um, really um, um, be incompatible with, 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 with dialysis. As a result of being told in, in the year 1999 that I had a malady with no known cause, and that was reinforced when it morphed into something that was even more serious in 2000, um, I said to my physicians, and to the, uh, principally Dr. Campisi, how can it be that at this point, which was essentially a new millennium, that, that we have so, uh, you're telling me I have a malady that, that, well, it's been recognized in the medical literature, it doesn't, there's no understanding of what causes it and therefore the way we treat it is probably um, inaccurate, incomplete, and perhaps even primitive um, when viewed from the future. And uh, he said that's true, and that's because there isn't a lot of research in kidney disease compared to many other forms of disease, such as cancer and heart disease and AIDS in particular. And uh, I found that very shocking, and really I got very angry about it and started to do research about the nature of Um, of what actually goes on in kidney research and found that compared to the gravity of the problem, uh, it is a drastically underfunded area of medical research. In fact, over time I came to learn um, how huge a toll um, kidney disease takes on the federal treasury and on um, expenditures for health care. For example, presently nearly 30% of all Medicare expenditures go for kidney-related maladies, which is an absolutely staggering statistic. It's also a fact that um, there's some difference of opinion on the statistics, but either one in eight or one or nine adults has some form of kidney malady, which is also shocking, many of them not knowing that they have it. Uh, And so between the fact that we have a vast population that is affected and a tremendous number of people who are already uh, implicated by kidney disease suffering, I mean, there are nearly 500,000 people on dialysis today. Um, We are spending so much money, um, which obviously if one could... Um, find the causes of some of these maladies or cures, 
then a great deal of, of money would be saved, not to mention the astonishing and terrible and in, you know, in, uh, um, the, the toll that it takes on people's lives, which cannot be compensated in, in dollars. So I think the, there, it became very obvious to me that a, we needed to make kidney research as a priority in healthcare. So that was uh, the catalyst that made you uh, want to create the University Kidney Research Organization. That is correct. And I, dec- I felt that, first of all, that my family and I had previously been involved in supporting medical research. I had the, the strong view that a university medical school is the, among the best places to do this because they offer the opportunity to have the contribution of many different disciplines in medicine, and the kidney is a very complex organism. Aside from the brain, it may be one of the most, maybe the most complex organ, and um, it involves, obviously, many different kinds of disciplines. And so setting up a kidney research program at a medical school where you could call upon people from the field of nephrology and cardiology and other aspects of internal medicine, urology, etc., um, seemed to be logical and sensible in order to avoid wasting money, duplication of effort, and enjoy cross-fertilization of ideas and research that ideally takes place in a properly organized major medical school. And because of my relationship with uh, Dr. Vito Campisi and the nephrology team at USC, I decided that um, for purposes of doing this, we would um, concentrate our efforts in conjunction with USC, although not exclusively. We do support research uh, elsewhere as well, and we'll continue to do that. It's just that um, USC has provided an excellent uh, opportunity to do that. They are committed to building this into a, a major area of excellence. And Lori, I don't know if you know this, but strangely enough, there is no, there's presently no major kidney research center anywhere in the Western United States. I didn't know that. It would, it, you know, there, there's so much that needs to be done in kidney disease. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, and one of the things that was amazing to me, I attended one of your galas that you throw to raise money every year. And in 2007, I attended one, but I don't know how you managed to get a deceased donor kidney the day before, because that was like perfect timing. Um, You know, we're all showing up to see you, and then we have a video from you saying, I'm getting a transplant. So how did you pull that off? Well, that was, a. I suppose, in retrospect, it seems like a great stunt, but it actually was totally unexpected. And given the nature of the disease that that brought my normal kidney function to an end, I was reluctant to accept a living donation from any of my family members because they told me that the disease might reoccur. And I said I was, it would just be intolerable guilt if my you know, body rejected uh, or infected a new kidney that my daughter or son or wife gave me. So I decided to wait for a cadaver kidney. Uh, which was a long wait. As I said, it was six years from uh, the time my kidneys failed and actually eight years from the time I first got sick, almost nine, because I I got sick early in 1999. So um, 
I, I um, was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it just so happens that um, the night before this gala dinner of which I was the chairman, I was called and said to stand by. There could be a kidney that um, would be right for me. And um, I said, oh, my goodness, I can't possibly do this. I have to chair of this big dinner. I have 500 people coming to um, the Beverly Hilton Hotel. And um, how can I not be there? And my wife said to me, look, are you out of your mind? You have to go. And have you, if this kidney becomes available, it's a godsend. And, and, and forget the dinner. You know, you'll, the dinner will go on. It's all arranged, which is, in fact, what happened. <laughs> and so when uh, the dinner began, my son, Lewis got up and did a fantastic job and told people that um, he was substituting because, guess what, I wasn't there because I had been in the hospital from the day before and had received a kidney transplant, which was a great thro- shock and a great, as you say, a sort of an audacious moment to and an announcement that surprised everybody and couldn't have been more on on theme, if you will. Yeah, it was just, a, I remember that moment, and it, I could hear the gasps in the audience of just being, you know, so relieved and so happy. And so, uh, yeah, kudos to you for, for making all that happen, because, uh, and how is your transplant doing? It's just been perfect. I have not had a minute's trouble with it. I've had no rejection episodes. I take my medication very religiously and very dutifully, and um, thank heavens I'm I'm just doing fine, and I've been able to travel. During the time that I was on dialysis, I did do some traveling because that's it's in, necessary for in the in my profession. And I um, was um, dialyzed in many different places in Europe and in America. Now that I'm obviously untethered from dialysis, I I'm continuing to be able to do it. But I I watch my um, you know, I watch my diet and everything else, and I've not had a minute's problem. So I'm really so grateful to my donor and the people who helped me and who made possible the whole concept of, of organ donation in, to the, the degree that it is now practiced. Um, and, as I, and I also know that I'm alive because I benefited from research that went before and has gone on for decades albeit too small and too not as well-funded as it, as it should be. Nevertheless, the research that went on made it possible for me to have access to dialysis, which saved my life. You know, research, people underestimate sometimes, but we're basically lab rats. And uh, there were a lot of lab rats that went before us that made our life better. And there are incredible scientists who are figuring out, um, you know, what can help us. I remember in the early days uh, when I was really ill, you know, 68, I was diagnosed with kidney failure um, and had extremely high blood pressure. I mean, like I can remember my heart bouncing out of my chest as a child. And they were always trying new blood pressure medicines on me because they were, you know, very new back in the 70s. And, you know, they they worked. (laughs) And, you know, it, it was amazing because somebody is in the lab that, you know, the University Kidney Research Organization is developing these things to create either better medication, 
therapies, treatment options to make, you know, potentially our lives or our family members or, you know, just other people who are living with kidney disease better. And we, I think a lot of people forget that, how much research goes in to care. Well, this is true. I remember seeing a play that you were involved in mounting uh, called Who Lives, which um, took place in the 60s, I think, or in Seattle, and it dealt with the dilemma that existed in many cities at the time when there were many people, as many, uh, if not, uh, not as many as today, but nonetheless, population was smaller. But proportionally, there were always lots of people who needed kidney treatments, and there was almost no dialysis available. There was, so there would be one machine. The machine would take 12 hours for a treatment, so obviously the number of patients who could be treated were very few, and they had these committees of citizens, kind of like juries, who decided who lived and who died. Uh, And it was a very profound and very, very, very dramatic and moving play. But it illustrated how far we've come because today dialysis is very widespread. The machines are available um, and they're spreading all over the world. We're we're fortunate in the United States that uh, Congress, in its wisdom, uh, passed a bill providing for Medicare coverage of dialysis quite some time ago, and so it's it's widely available and has saved millions of people's lives uh, and has obviously permitted those people to return to being productive uh, citizens with quality lives who become wage earners and taxpayers and all of that. And so the investment has been more than returned many times. But it reminds you of the fact that this would not have happened but for the commitment to research. And, and that's why... Uh, what we want to do is to build a very important and preeminent kidney research center here in Southern California that will be a new center of, of invention uh, for the treatment of kidney disease. And it will involve all of the latest kinds of research, including stem cell research, regenerative medicine, as they call it, um, and hopefully the dream of one day being able to use stem cells from a person's body to manipulate them to either repair, reconstruct uh, uh, one's kidneys or grow a new kidney in a laboratory and then implant that in a person so that just think we wouldn't have to have the concern about organ donation, organ procurement, and rejection and immune suppression and all the kinds of complexities if one could create a new kidney from existing cells in, in, a, in a person's body. And the same is true with hearts and lungs and other organs. So we're m- moving forward in medicine, and nothing is done in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. I am convinced that if the public gets behind kidney research, not only will it save the treasury in the long run, gigantic sums of money, but it will offer the opportunity for people to have healthier and longer and better lives. Well, I did an interview a couple of months ago with a woman named Renee Jacobs, and she was in a stage three clinical trial of an islet cell pancreas transplant. And, you know, it was quite amazing. I mean, it was from a deceased donor. They pulled the cells from the uh, the deceased donor. But um, after two infusions, um, she uh, no longer has to take insulin. 
which is just amazing. And she's in a stage three clinical trial, which is somebody's doing the research and getting behind it to solve that problem. So it's, uh, it's so hopeful when you hear about all the research that's taking place. Well, you know, being an entertainment lawyer, Ken, um, you've brought a lot of awareness through celebrities. Can you tell us a bit about whom is involved in your organization? Yes, well, we have a we have two boards um, that work with us. We have a board of directors who are mostly, um, there, there are a variety of people from all different walks of life, um, and they include um, a number of people from uh, the entertainment field, including uh, singer-songwriter Natalie Cole and also singer-songwriter Dina Carter and uh, several other people who come from, who are not performing talent but are in the business of the entertainment field or communications and the like. Um, And we are um, expanding our outreach all the time. We have a, I'm really proud of our website, which is called ukrocharity.org. UKROcharity.org, and it has a vast amount of information um, about our organization and who's involved and some of the technical people. We have a second board that in, that is our medical and scientific advisory board, and on that board we have 12 or 15 prominent physicians, researchers, uh, people who are involved in the in the science and, 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 and medicine of nephrology and um, who are really uh, invaluable sources of information and guidance as we move forward uh, and decide what, what research projects to, uh, to support. Uh, naturally, our, uh, our assets are vastly uh, smaller than our ambition, and um, we been talking with donors and people in the community and corporations and others about funding a large capital campaign to help build what we would like to call the Southern California Kidney Institute um, to be a regional center of the highest order um, preeminent in the United States uh, in the field of kidney research. Uh, and as, as, as I said earlier, Presently, nothing like this exists today. And so it's just simply shocking, frankly. And I hope all of the people listening um, to this conversation will be motivated to think about it because you probably know a family member or a friend or somebody who has been stricken with kidney maladies and having gone through it and survived it, uh, I can tell you it is no picnic. And particularly for young people, I feel lucky that it didn't hit me as a young person. I know Lori is so admirable and she's so remarkable because she has been dealing with this the whole of her life. And several of the people in our organization have been likewise. And it is so remarkable um, how, uh, how it affects you. And of course, there are People like Lori who have survived and managed to have the fortitude to, and the mental strength and the spirit to overcome it and defeat it, if, if you will, and not let it get the best of you. And unfortunately and sadly, there are people who have not been able to, uh, to um, um, succeed in that, in that fight. And, and, and some of those people we have lost. You know, an illness, you know, one of the things that is my key phrases is an illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. 
And you need hope knowing that there's a new future for you of perhaps medical advancements where I just went through a a, a difficult transplant because it was my fourth one and I had 100% antibodies and I had to go through a new uh, treatment program uh, called desensitization, which, you know, a lot of research was put behind, but, you know, I'm today I have a 0.8 creatinine and back to as normal as I think is possible. And it is, it's so amazing because I think so many people give up hope that they don't have a future or they just feel so horrible, they don't know what to do. And, you know, I think that that's, in addition to research, can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what helped you get through all of those difficult times? I know work and, you know, feeling valued was very important for me, you know, when I, I had an illness, I didn't want to lose my identity. But uh, what else helped you get through well, a kidney my disease? Family, I, have a, I, I have a wife, uh, we've been married 47 years. I have three adult children who have wonderful marriages themselves and seven grandchildren and a, and a, and a, a sister and a brother-in-law and a, and a large extended group of family members and friends and colleagues and law partners and clients. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that it really helps to know that people care, they're rooting for you, and um, that there's no reason to succumb to fear or to disillusionment. Um, we, you know, there are curves and bumps and, and, and dips in life, and you have to be prepared for them. And I think that um, it's in the nature of things to... Uh, have these challenges, and one just has to sort of figure out a way to overcome them and not not let them get you down. And um, I don't know, somehow that was something that I learned or was taught along the way, and uh, I think when you see other people who are ill and they they overcome their their challenges, it's inspiring naturally. And uh, it sounds trite, but it's really true. It is. It is inspiring. And I think one of the things, too, that uh, both you and I, we both have in common is that, you know, we chose to help other people in our community, our, our fellow peers that have kidney disease. And for me, that gives me an incredible sense of making my experience meaningful because I can use my experience and my passion of going through the illness to help convince people of the importance of supporting causes. Oh, oh there's absolutely no, no doubt about that. And, you know, there are people that we've met that are um, working with our organization. There's a lady named Valen Cover, quite well-known, and, and she has been struggling and has become agreed to become a spokesperson for, for um, UKRO and... Um, you can see her on our website, and there's a, a lady named Mary Wu who's going to be on our Rose Parade float. We're one of the sponsors of a, of a Rose Parade float um, to bring awareness to the public of the importance of kidney research and organ donation, et cetera. These are all very interrelated areas. Um, so I think that if you look at all the people out there who have not allowed their particular challenges and illnesses and problems to get them down, then I think it is, you know, again, not to be repetitive, but it's inspiring. And uh, I think it leaves you with no choice if you have, uh, you know, it's, it, it's an easy choice to choose between being active and, and, and trying to 
change and improve the situation and sitting by and doing nothing. I mean, the latter is just not an acceptable alternative. Yeah, Bell and, and Mary have both done interviews for us, and they are. They're truly inspiring, and, you know, they're the, the future of, you know, carrying on our legacies because uh, as we uh, get a little bit older and uh, we need other people to come forward and take on the cause. That, that's terribly important. What the public needs to understand that this is not any kind of a one-person show. I mean, when you find out, if you're a member of the public and you find out that your parent or your sister or your brother or your cousin or your child, even worse, is suddenly a victim of kidney disease, you will understand what it means to be connected in some way to one of these groups, such as Lori's or ours or any, any number of other important groups out there who are dedicated in one way or another to helping people who have kidney problems to helping to alleviate them, to provide public information about them, to uh, to and to solve them for others. And the reason we chose research as our goal is because, as I looked at it analytically, I, I realized that the only reason I was alive was because of the research that had gone before. And while it has not led to a situation where they understand the disease that I have or or can provide a cure for it. Um, like so many other things, you can't do it in a day or two or maybe even a decade or, or three or four. It takes time. We still don't have a cure for cancer, notwithstanding all the efforts that we've made. And um, we have some understanding of heart disease, but don't have a perfect solution at all, uh, necessarily short of a heart transplant or the like. And uh, clearly, there are many advancements in all of these fields. Although, if you look, for example, at AIDS, in, for, for many people and in many situations, AIDS, which was a deadly and fatal disease that had a just a, an irretrievable um, march um, toward uh, the abyss, it is now more of a chronic disease, and if properly treated and people take their medication and all that, they can, they can live um, a, a long and full life. And that's a result of research. So we wish to do the same thing with kidney disease and ultimately to have it be a thing of the past in the same way that polio and certain other diseases, which used to be a scourge nationally, have disappeared. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing, just the whole advancements. And, you know, Ken, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. And um, people can go learn about the University Kidney Research Organization at ukrocharity.org. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at your next gala. And I, I just can't wait to see what the next stunt is. Um, uh, if I could make a suggestion, I keep telling people I'm taller than I look. If you could make me actually be taller, um, maybe that's a stunt we could think about. Well, you know, height and glamour and all <laughs> those things are all relative. And, and um, in terms of, of uh, stature, I don't know of anybody who has greater <laughs> stature than you because of what you have done, not only to survive yourself, but also to help others um, survive and cope with devastating diseases that really do rack and 
and challenge people's ability to cope and to live. And the fact that you've done it, and you've done it since you were a young person and have this wonderful attitude, you really are a treasure. And I can't think of any greater stature that anybody has achieved than that. So congratulations to you for that. Well, thank you, Ken. And uh, uh, look forward to hearing about um, advancements that you're making. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll stay in, in touch with you. Thank you so much. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 